Boy, after that words, we can just go home. I mean, that was, that was well said, well said. All right, take your Bibles, if you would. Let's go to Luke 17, Gospel Luke chapter 17. You know, there are, if you look at the title of the message is, I do, talking about I promise as far as uh, marriage, I do, I won't. What is I won't? I won't forgive. You know, the, um, I, 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 I don't know about you, but I think I have the answers for everything. And then I come to realize it's not an opening on the Trinity. God the Father is doing just fine. God the Son is reigning, and, and God the Holy Spirit is doing just fine. So there's lots of times I have to remind myself, you know, I'm not God, neither do I know how to handle all problems. Uh, several weeks ago, we have a, our baptistry. is the worst designed baptistry in the world. I designed it, okay, but it's, it's, it's under the choir loft because a church plant, we built the first building, and I said, I don't want to give up seats for, you know, that area, and so we put it on the choir Worst decision ever made. So I had a dream problem, and me being a pastor figured out I knew how to solve all the plumbing problems, right? And we had a retired construction guy in our church. His name is Carl. And I said, Carl, we got a problem. I want this. we got to get this drain fixed, man. We love to use our baptistry. We love, like you, love to see people come to Christ. And in that first step of obedience and, and being baptized as a believer. And I said, Carl, we got a problem. And I said, uh, we need this drain fixed. He said, okay, I'll take care of it. Well, he didn't get to it soon enough. So what, I, I'd get the snake out, and i try to... You know, plumbing, trying, you know, thinking I'm a plumber and do. He said, no, Pastor, you got to go to the end of the line and work your way forward. So next thing I did, I was going to dig a hole before the end of the line just to cut the line in half, right? And just get, get the water out, right? I mean, I got my way to do it. He says, Pastor, I promise you what you need to do, you need to go to the end of the line and get it worked out from the beginning. So we did. And so what had happened was there was some, we have a tree line near where the drain goes out. And those roots of the trees were very thirsty. So into the end of our baptistry drain, I mean, it was clogged with roots like this long. Well, the minute those roots were pulled out, what happened? Oh, the flowing started, right? So this morning's topic is forgiveness. Now, in relationships, you may think you can fix it your way. And you may think, like me, you can try to make it work. But in reality, God gives us answers because relationships need to be flowing back and forth. And what we're going to talk about this morning is one of those foundational messages on forgiveness and what it really means. So in Luke 17, we're going to start in just a minute. But if you would look at verse 3, and then we're going to launch into this part in a few minutes. But I want you to understand that there are many times you may not feel like forgiving someone. There are many times you think somebody doesn't deserve to be forgiven. So if, if you're like me, I'm trying to fix a baptistry drain. I don't know what I'm doing. Some of you may have relationships like that. So this morning, and again, I thank Pastor Tim for this opportunity. I don't like to give up my Sunday mornings, and I understand. So thank you for the opportunity. It's great to be here, but this morning I want us to look at God's view on forgiveness. Because that's where we need to go. Luke 17, verse 3 starts this way. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns you seven times saying, I repent, God says what? Forgive him. Father, we need you today. We need you desperately. Father, I beg of you that as we go through your word, that our hearts would be conformed with your word. And like the thing Pastor Tim just said, that we would believe it. And Father, when we believe it, we'll act on it. So work in our hearts where we have been in disobedience to you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would look in your outline, because where we're kind of going with this is I want to start with this, because kind of like clogging the drain in the baptistry, 
Proverbs 28, 13 says that I, if I hide my transgressions, I don't make things right, I'm not going to prosper. The relationships with God and with others are not going to flow. So as we look at this, I want us to come face to face. This is one of those messages where we just kind of get real close to each other. And we get close to God and say, okay, where this applies to me, Lord, I'm ready to act on it. So as we first look at this on your outlines, we first understand forgiveness is given to you by God. As a believer in Christ, when you're forgiven, God grants you forgiveness. A few verses that we talk about this is God promised to cleanse, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and then to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I was brought up in a very religious home. Went to church every Sunday. We would open the doors. I mean, we were there. It's a very liberal denomination. And somehow I got in my mind that salvation is based on what I do and what not Christ has done. I knew nothing of the Bible. So I go away to Clemson University as a freshman. But the second day in the dorm, there's a knock on the door. This guy comes in and says this. Hey, uh, can I ask you a question? Can I invite you to our Bible study? I said, no, thank you. I go home. I teach Sunday school every Sunday morning. I have the high schoolers. I have enough. I'm, I'm involved in that. I don't need to come to your Bible study. Well, this guy got very persistent. He said, well, can I ask you another question? I said, okay, if you must. He said, if you were to die today, you know for sure you'd go to heaven. I said, absolutely. And he said, can I ask you another question? You know, now, but this time I'm getting a little irritated, right? I said, okay, one more question. He says, uh, why do you think so? I said, well, because my, I know my good works and I know my sins. And as long as my good works outweigh my sins, I know I'm okay with God. I know I'm going to heaven. He said, I understand why you may think that, but is that in the Bible? Another question, I really by this time was getting irritated. I said, it's got to be. And this guy was so patient and loving. He says, okay, when you stand before God, you need to make sure. So you need a Bible verse to go with that. So I said, okay, whatever, leave. But see, God took that. And from every night from that day on, I would put my head down on my pillow and I would say, Lord, if I die, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I'll probably end up in hell. So I was invited to a Bible study and they were memorizing this verse. Now, I understand this is really dealing with a believer. But this is the verse, the first time I ever heard that our sins could be forgiven. If we confess our sins, he, God, is what? Faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to do what? Cleanse us. This verse drove me to the only verse in the Bible I knew, which was John 3.16. I got on my knees in my dorm room, opened up the Bible. I read John 3.16. For the first time in my life, I understood, for God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his only begotten son that whoever what? Believes, not works, has everlasting life. And the word belief popped off, I mean, just, just came off the page. I said, Lord, I understand now. I believe. But please understand, it was this verse that I understood my sins, my guilt, all the things I had done could be forgiven. So as we look at our relationships with others in the context, our first relationship's got to be with God. And he says this, when you come to him in faith, as Savior, when you trust Christ as your Savior, there's a promise to cleanse and also a promise to remove. Psalm 103, how far is the east is from the west? Wow. That's how far he's promised to do what? Remove our sins from us. So a promise to remove. And also another great promise here is we talk about a relationship with God, a promise to remember no more. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, and I will not remember your sins. Jeremiah 31, 34, for I forgive their iniquity and their sin I'll remember no more. 
and God's promise here in Hebrews 10, 17, and their sins and lawless deeds, what do you say here? I will remember no more. All right, so theologically, can God forget? If we say that, we got a problem. So what does this mean? It's a promise is that when we come to Christ in faith, John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes in him that sent me hath everlasting life, shall not come into judgment because you've passed from death unto life. So what this means is that when we come to Christ as Savior, our sins are forgiven. Our sins have been judged in Christ, not by my works. And what this promise is, he'll remember no more. He will not bring them up at our charge because we're seen in Christ and not in our sin. So these promises here is forgiveness is given to you by God. So when you come to Christ in faith, to be born again, to become his child, these are the promises God has made to you. We need to celebrate these. We need to focus on these. Because once we realize our sins have been forgiven through Christ, and we understand the promises that God has given to us, and we realize we are unworthy of such promises, then we can see ourselves before God as we really are. We are forgiven, not by what we have done, but by what Christ has done. We are cleansed as far as the east is from the west. And then the promise that our sins will not be brought up before us again. So let's please understand as we seek to restore relationships through forgiveness, please understand your position before God before we look at our position before others. Let's quickly hasten on to our next point. Forgiveness given to others by you. This is our passage in Luke 17. And it says in verse 3, be on your guard, be alert, be careful. If your brother sins against him, rebuke him. So in your outline, I've got it this way. You must approach the offender. So as you're dealing with those and those that have sinned against you, again, we need to, it says here, we go to them. If your brother sins, if he comes against you and sins against you, we have an obligation to go to them and address the situation. What happened? Why did you do this? Is this something I did? So we must go and approach someone else. And as Christians, we need to make sure, and your outline is thinking this way, that we need to make sure we are approachable. Okay, so we need to make sure. Christians must be approachable. Husbands and wives, we must be approachable to each other. Fellow believers, Pastor Tim and I need to be approachable to each other. As a church, we need to be approachable to each other. Why? Because Scripture does not allow sin to go unchecked. Sin, the scriptures don't allow sin to go unchecked or unaddressed. So Matthew 17, 3, you are to approach the offender. Now keep reading into verse 3 and it says this, If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and returns to you seven times in a day saying, Repent, command here is forgive. So you must forgive the offender when he asks for it. Can I say that again? You must forgive the offender when they ask for it. Now notice, how many times did this person sin against me? Seven times in a day. All right, so let's take it as a little 24-hour day. 24 divided by 7. Okay, so a little over one every three hours, right? Okay, let's take it as a waking day. Let's say 16 hours. So a little over every two hours. So uh, 
Pastor Steve, I sinned against you. And then again and again and again and again and again, seven times. And each time, Pastor Steve, will you forgive me? I sinned against you. And then I come right back two hours later, Pastor Steve, I sinned against you again. Will you forgive me? So you do that seven times and you got to start wondering, has this guy really mean what he says? But notice the scripture. This person asks, this person asks seven times. And the command is, if he says, I repent, you shall forgive him. Well, what, what a testimony from your maturity matters lady. She said, disbelieve. Okay, this gets hard. Okay, this, this part of the relationship is very hard. Because I, as a husband, sin against my wife over and over and over and over seven times in one day, and each time saying, Honey, Gretchen, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so, but what happens? There are excuses that we make because this is almost impossible. Look at, if you would, in verse five. So, common excuse number one is this I will not forgive them till I see what? Fruit in their life. Okay, when Pastor Steve, when he starts to see me really changing, then I will forgive him. But what's the problem with that? Well, when you go to that, Matthew 7, you can look at it later. When it says examine the fruit in the life, that's really talking about false prophets. And by the way, how much fruit can you grow in your life in 2.5 hours? Fruit takes a while to grow. Okay, now in the South, my home state, South Carolina, produces more peaches than any other state in the country. We had great warm weather, and then the freeze hit. Okay, and now we're in danger of losing, what, 90% of our peaches. And I love peach milkshakes. I'm going to be in trouble. But here's the issue I'm trying to say. It takes a long time for those peaches to grow. They don't come up in just 2.5 hours. So the common excuse, number one, is, okay, I will repent... I will forgive them when I see fruit in their life. Again, no time for fruit to grow. Look at verse 5 and 6. 5 says, And the apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. By the way, if you go back and study that in Greek, the southern translation of, you know, increase our faith is, <laughs> you got to be kidding. Right? I mean, you know, increase our faith. What? They're being very sarcastic. Because they're saying, okay, seven times in one day based on what they say, not what they do. And you want us to forgive them? They say, you got to be kidding me. So common excuse number two, I just don't have enough faith. So he says, increase our faith. Verse six, and the Lord said, if you had the faith of what? mustard seed. So it's not a matter of how much faith you have. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you would say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. See, it's not a matter of faith. It's a matter of obedience. Your spouse has sinned against you over and over multiple years. And they say, honey, I I'm sorry. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against God. Will you forgive me? And what is your answer? It can't be that easy. My wife and I were working with a couple years ago. We talked about here forgiveness with each other. And I said, okay, what we need to go back do is really talk about how each of you have sinned against each other. And she looked at me and she said, that is not a problem. I said, what do you mean? She pulled out one of these spiral, like little memo notebooks. She said, I have here... 
every way he sinned against me for the last 10 years. Now, love keeps no record, right? <laughs> Can some of you identify with that? Okay, so notice what it says here. The apostles say, increase our what? Faith. And Christ says, it's not a matter of how much faith, it's a matter of obedience. All it takes is a little bit of faith. So common excuse number two is, I'm not going to forgive because I don't have enough faith. Common excuse number three, pick it up in verse seven. But which of you having a slave or a servant plowing and tending sheep will say to him as he's come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat, verse eight. But when he's not said to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I've eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that slave because he did the things which are commanded? Uh, does he thank him for that? Verse 10. So you too, when you have done all the things which are commanded you, saying we are unworthy slaves, we've done only that which the slave ought to do. Common excuse number three is this. I do not feel like forgiving him or her. Again, how many sins? Seven times in one day. Continuous pattern of being sinned against over and over. So put this into years and then decades and then 30 and 40 years. And then the husband or the wife comes and says, honey, I've sinned against you and against God. Will you please forgive me? And you say, wait just a minute. It's just not that fast. Now, I understand forgiveness is one thing. Rebuilding trust is a second. I understand that. But the point is here, when we come to faith in Christ, he says, your sins are forgiven. You shall not come into judgment. So as we are having these relationships with each other and those who have sinned against you over and over and over for years upon years upon years, and they're trying to make things right, well, I don't feel like it. Look at this slave. What has he been doing? Out in working, planting, harvesting, taking care of the sheep and the ox and everything else, and it's dinner time. So you would think, what, that the master serves the, the servant because he's been, no, 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 it's the servant's job, it's his duty not only to tend the fields, but to do what? Come back into the home, clean yourself up, get the steak ready, get the potatoes ready, get the salad ready, and serve a great steak, clean up afterwards, and then the servant gets to eat. And he says, is the servant thanked for that? No, why not? He's simply doing his duty. The servant obeyed the master against his feelings. So common excuse number three, I do not feel like forgiving him. You do not understand how much he or she has hurt me. He or she has hurt me. This is unbiblical because it's not a matter of feelings. It's a matter of what? Obedience. The servant obeyed his master against his feelings. I go back to the wife who had the spiral notebook full of 10 years of documented every sin against the, her husband had committed. When this passage was studied out by her and she understood what God required her to do, the next time after she came, we met, guess what she did? Pastor, here is the notebook. Why? Did she feel like giving it? No. God requires her to forgive. Okay? 
So what sins are you holding? You're refusing to forgive someone. Where are, remember we talked about the roots in the drain, right? Those, they stunk. I mean, we pulled those roots and that dirt out of there. It was stinky. That's what your sins are like. When we refuse to forgive those that ask forgiveness, this is what your spiritual life smells like. So please understand that these are things that you must be ready to forgive as a servant did. Now I want to say one other thing, and I'll just put this on the slide and you write it. This is not in your notes. And I put it in this morning as I was meditating because this often comes up. So pastor, how do I forgive somebody who, who, is, who is dead? My father abused me or what are you filling the blanks? But there's no way I can find them. There's no way I know where they are or they're not even alive. Just write down these verses. Ephesians 4, 32, Psalm 86, 5, Mark 11. Because here's what I, I, I must maintain that spirit of forgiveness if that person has never asked forgiveness. I had a fellow one time that I was in business with on a side business, stole a lot of money. He got shipped off to prison. And every time I sat down to have my quiet time, what happened? Bitterness. All I could think about is, you know, how, how could he do? All right, so, and then, so this personally, I had to get a hold of these verses. Because I couldn't see him face to face. He's away in prison somewhere. So I'm telling you, you must get a hold of the, you must have the spirit of forgiveness to those who have sinned against you horribly until they, then they come and ask forgiveness. And by the way, this guy did. His mother died. He got released from prison. I went to the funeral. And here he is, a prosperous businessman at one time in an orange jumpsuit. Standing at his mother's tombstone, he came up and he said, Hey, Marsh, would you forgive me? So what must we do? Did I want to? Did I say, what about the money? No. Okay. I forgive you. I got to leave the rest up with God. Folks, there are many people who have sinned against you and sinned against you and sinned against you over and over for days, years, weeks, whatever. So when they come to you, you must be ready. You must be ready to forgive. If we could, let's quickly move on. Turn back to Luke 15. Because forgiveness is also given to you by others. So our first point was forgiveness is given to you by God. And again, I always want to say amen to that. Forgiveness is given to others by you. I hope this morning you don't have that spiral notebook full of sins against others in your heart. And finally, I want to give you this challenge. Forgiveness is given to you by others. In Luke chapter 15, we've got the, one of the great stories here of Scripture, starting in verse 11 of the prodigal son. And this is what it says. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, forgive uh, excuse me, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. He divided the wealth between them. You understand, not many days later, the young son gathered everything together, went on a journey to a distant country, and there squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country and began to be in need. Very familiar story. You know of it. So, you know, he, 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 he's struggling. Verse 17, but when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men? Have more bread, uh, more than enough bread. I'm dying here with hunger. Verse 18, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against who? Against heaven. See, when the prodigal came, it says to his senses. The first thing is, he said, I've sinned against God. 
So when I come to this idea that, that I, the forgiveness is be given to me by others, I must understand that every sin I've committed against you, my wife, my children, whoever, is also a sin against God. So the way I put it here is, you know, in Luke 15, 18, I've sinned against heaven. On your outline, I put it this way, go quickly to God. Go quickly to God. How many sins have you committed that you just keep heart, you just keep filing them back, filing them back, you refuse to do anything with it? The first verse opened up with Proverbs 28, 13, that if I conceal these, I try to cover these. Folks, there is no blessing. But Proverbs 28, 13, the first verse I dealt with, but if you confess those, God's mercy is overflowing upon you to forgive you. Do we understand that? So I must understand that every time I sin against someone else, it's also a sin against God. So we can't just say, okay, it's just my four-year-old son or my 10-year-old son. No, also, it's also a sin against God. And I must have that sobering reality that every sin I commit as a father, as a husband, as a believer, as a pastor, is also a sin against God. That is the reality of life. This is the reality. I must have that ever consciousness in front of me the prodigal came to his senses and understood he had sinned against heaven now we also understand his sinned against his father we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later well we're not really going to deal with it I want you to understand that so the prodigal was a sin against his father but was also a sin against God now folks I'll remind you our God is all loving and I praise the Lord for that I mean, where would we be without the love of God? And God is, he's very patient with us. But God is also all-knowing. And because you justify your sin against others, and you think it's not that big a deal, God is also all-knowing. You're clogging the pipe of blessings from God and with others. When you're unwilling to come before God and say, God, I have sinned against you. So we are to go quickly to God. And then in Matthew 5, we're also go quickly to others. I've got this on the screen. You don't need to turn there. This is another one of those great passages that deals with the importance of worship. The importance of, of maintaining a right relationship with God and others. Matthew 5, 23, therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there's remember that your brother has something. Some translation just say, oh, a little thing, that if I know a brother in Christ has something against me, verse 24, what does it say? Leave. Leave your offering there before the altar and do what? Go. First, do what? Be reconciled to your brother. How do you get reconciled with someone? Pastor, sin, I, I'm Pastor Tim, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. This is what I did. I lied to you. This is what I said. This is what I should have said. Pastor Tim, will you please forgive me? See, asking forgiveness is not an apology. An apology to Pastor Tim, I'm sorry I lied to you. I could walk away. Forgiveness is a transaction. Pastor Tim, I sinned against you. I lied to you. Will you forgive me? Pastor Tim, of course, in obedience from Luke 17, said, yes, I forgive you. 
apologizing is not the same thing as asking forgiveness. Asking forgiveness, I, I, I quickly acknowledge and agree. You know, confession to God means to say the same thing as God does. That's what confession means. So when I go and I ask forgiveness, I'm telling God the same thing God already knows. I've sinned against you, Lord, and against my wife. So I go to my wife and I say, Gretchen, will you please forgive me for? So that's hard to do. Yes, it is. But again, go back to our first point. Forgiveness is given to you by who? God. So if God has given us this forgiveness and God's mercy and grace through the blood of Christ has cleansed me, if God has done that to me, a sinner, why would I not go to another person when I realize my true state before God is a forgiven sinner and God requires me to go and ask forgiveness of someone else? And here it says, leave your offering before the altar. Go first be reconciled to your brother. See, God puts a priority on our relationships being where they should be with each other. Now, are Sunday mornings hectic in most households with children? Yeah. We had one, one we have five children. And, you know, as, as new parents, you know, you try to do everything right. On and on. And we had, we had um, so Elizabeth, our oldest, and she was, I don't forget how old she was, but she was old enough to pitch a fit on Sunday mornings. I'll just put it like that. <laughs> so uh, every Sunday morning, Gretchen would wash her hair before we go to church. She hated it. So we had a good friend, a single girl. She's a pediatrician staying with us one weekend. And so we're going through this ordeal, right? And this little munchkin that's supposed to be a blessing is ruining my heart to get ready for the Lord's day. And finally, the pediatrician, her name was Sarah. She said, have y'all ever thought about doing that on Saturday night? Okay. True story, right, my wife? Absolutely true. So what I'm saying is you may be here this morning and your family's like ours. You're trying to get kids ready, trying to get here, and your heart is not prepared for worship. Because yesterday you did not take the time to make things right with your wife from the previous week, or wives not to the husbands. And you come here unreconciled with your spouse or with your children. And again, I have three boys trying to preach with three teenage boys living in the house. Hello, Pastor Tim. <laughs> right? How do you keep your heart right? But it's not what I think. Folks, I can justify anything. I can. I can talk myself into justifying anything at any time. That's the reason I need to be in the Word of God every day, approachable. That's the reason I need to be approachable by the Spirit of God. So when I come first, I'm going to be reconciled to my wife, to my child, to my brother, and then I'm going to come worship. Amen. Getting kind of personal, isn't it? So we are to go and ask forgiveness. We're not to worship until we make things right. Do we understand the priority God puts on making relationships right? 
Do we understand how easy it is to justify not forgiving or going and ask forgiveness? Do we understand how quickly we can justify our sins against our children, our co-workers? I can justify stealing time from my workplace. I can justify all this until the Spirit of God pricks my heart and says, that's you, you've sinned, go make it right. Now, we're to go to God quickly and we're to go to others quickly. Look at the screen if you would. Matthew 5, the next verse says, agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him. Quickly. So who's this adversary? You may know this fellow in these verses. Be sober of spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the who? We understand also in Revelation 12, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before God, how often? Day and night. When we don't ask forgiveness quickly, you open yourself up to all kind of accusations, attacks. God says in Matthew 5, leave your gift at the altar. First go talk to your wife. Honey, I sinned against you. Would you forgive me? Go talk to those children. Go make a call. Make it right. Now, personally, I mean, you talk to, to your pastoral staff. I don't like to document my sin. I like to go face-to-face, eye-to-eye, person-to-person. Because I'm going to say, will you forgive me? And I'm not going to leave until they say, or whatever, I want an answer, yes, I forgive you. So there'll be no accusation brought later. Again, you you figure that one out. But, you know, all, all I'm saying is this, that you need to go ask forgiveness quickly. So in conclusion, I want to ask you this. Three areas here. Sins you have not asked forgiveness from God. You don't have to write them down. I just said you don't have to document your sin. But make that mental note. Sins right now. You have not asked forgiveness from God. In, in our world of discipleship, I work with a lot of men. And we, our men just talked, we just met as a men's group. And when you're dealing with men and, and where they are and they're trying to get their hearts right with God, they got a lot of things they need to get right. But the first step is admitting it's a sin before God. So what are these sins? You need to ask forgiveness from God. Secondly, who do you refuse to forgive? The second point, who is it? Again, it, 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 it's horrendous, the culture we live in. And I know a lot of you have been sinned against as innocent young women and young men. You may have been raped. You may have been sexually abused. You may have been exposed to things that just uh, an innocent child should never have been exposed to. But we've got to understand that when you're forgiven from God and someone comes and asks forgiveness from you, You need to be ready to forgive. One more illustration here, and we'll look at the last point. Years ago, we have great families in our church, just like your church. You know, I feel so much the kindred spirit here. We've got several families that are into foster care and adoption. And a family came to our church because we do a lot of discipleship and counseling. They had a little, um, a girl 
that uh, her father and mother had, or father had raped her repeatedly, and her mother was endorsing this, and this little girl had some mental challenges, and at this time she was 12. And so Gretchen and I were working with her, and we give her assignments. Now, folks, at 12, with her disabilities, she could hardly write. You couldn't read her writing, but she could memorize Scripture. Unbelievable. And we give her verses on memory. It makes me tear up to think about it. This little girl would sit there and she would quote verse after verse after verse. And then the week came, and it was my, our last time, our last session before she was having to testify publicly against her mom and dad in court. So you set the pressure for that. And boy, I learned a lot from her. I said, I called her by name. I said, how can I pray for you? And she said, Pastor, would you just pray my mom and dad would be saved? Okay, see, she was ready to forgive them. She wasn't holding back. Christ said something about having, you know, childlike faith. See, this little girl just took God at his word. She'd been forsaken by most other humans. But oh, she trusted God. So who is it right now you're refusing to forgive? Who is it? Lastly, as we wrap this up, Who have you not asked forgiveness from? Specifically. Who is it you have not asked forgiveness from? One of those liberating things that happened to me as a young believer. Again, I got saved at 19. I didn't really understand. The college ministry I was involved with didn't teach local church. So I had no idea. I didn't know there were Bible-believing churches. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I had no idea. And so we just went to the Bible study on campus and and again, I was in a liberal church, but then I went to a seminar and they talked about forgiveness. And, and, and again, when you don't get saved to 19 and, and you've lived a life on a secular college campus in high school, public high school and everything else, you know, you, <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of going on back there. And this fellow gave this challenge. He said, all right, take some time, get out a piece of paper and a pen. And you list everybody in your past that you've sinned against. And you ask God to bring them your way. So I call this my legal pad assignment. Before I was in the corporate world, I sold office supplies. So legal pads are near and dear to my heart. Okay. (laughs) So think about this. Now with your electronic devices, you can do it however you want to. But this morning, I'm going to challenge you to do this. Lord... I'm going to take a week, and I'm going to take a legal pad. And everybody that I've sinned against, Lord, I'm going to ask you to find, allow me to get in touch with them where I can ask their forgiveness. Now, folks, my list was long, long, long. But I assure you of this, when you consider, go back to this verse, leave your offering before the altar, first go be reconciled. When you make it a priority to set things right with God and with others, it's amazing how people turned up. Now, this is before social media. This was back in the late 70s. God brought person. Because here was the vow I made. Lord, you bring them my way, I'm going. You bring them my way, Lord. By your grace, I'm going. And I'm going to say, I sinned against you. I sinned against God. I'm going to, will you forgive me? 
Folks, when that list was cleared, I mean, I got charismatic. <laughs> Again, and I was reared Methodist. And that's, you know, so what I'm saying is, you know what that is? It's the joy of God seeing the grace of God flowing through the Word of God that impacts my life, and I took that step of faith. And see what happens now. All those people I sinned against in the past, whenever I say, I can look at them eye to eye. I don't have to avoid them in Walmart or anywhere else. I can go eye to eye. I can testify of Christ. I give you that challenge. This morning as we close... Would you take the legal pad challenge and just get along with God over a season of time and say, Lord, who is it? Because it's going to take the grace of God. But boy, does it, un- does it unleash the peace of God, the blessings of God in such a way. And again, your life may be my, like my stinky baptistry dream because my life sure was. It still is in a lot of ways. But this morning, as far as couples, as far as families, as far as a church family, my desire is for you to understand relationships. We're forgiven by God, even though I may not feel like it. When someone comes to me and asks my forgiveness, it is my duty to forgive them. But on the other side, it's also my obligation to go. So I trust as we close this service that where you need the grace of God to do this, you'll get along with God. I'm going to turn the, pastor, the service over to Pastor Tim. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer this morning. Pretty clear, the most noble things of Scripture are often stated so simply. Just uh, a quiet moment here as we wrap up. Has the Holy Spirit influenced your heart to get right with the Lord and get right possibly with some people as a result? That's the order, isn't it? Be right with God first and then be right with man. Can you think of another believer maybe inside your home or in this fellowship that uh, you need to have a conversation with out of love and grace to restore a relationship. Anyone like that this morning, lift up your hand. We're not going to call you out and embarrass you, but just say before the Lord, I'd like to take this legal pad challenge. Lord bless you. I've got some folks I need to talk with. Thank you. Anyone else? Pretty simple. Worship's not accepted by the Lord if we're embittered against each other in our homes or in our church. I would say, Pastor Tim, I'm not embittered or angered or offended. I can't think of anyone or anything in my life, but I know that I, there's, a, there's a really important talk that needs to take place in my home or between me and another saint at Grace this week. I would like for you and 
pray for me this week as I attempt to have that very important talk of strengthening relationships in my home or in this church. Anybody at all? Good. Praise God. Amen. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Certainly remember to pray for you folks. It's a great, powerful statement that forgiveness is not an apology, it's a transaction. All of you are my friends, you know that. There's some of my friends in the auditorium who have yet to have divine transaction made between you and your creator. And you still need to be born again. What you heard from Pastor Fant this morning is regardless of our background, regardless of all the people that may have offended, whether it be pastors or whoever, family members, we said last Sunday morning, there's really going to be no victims before the throne room of God someday. You're either going to stand in Jesus complete before him, or you're going to have known a lot about him, but never having received him. Only two kinds of people on Judgment Day. You say, Pastor, pray for me, because uh, I'm pretty confident that my relationship with the Lord's not right. I've not been not been born again, I've not been saved, I've not been renewed, but I'm thinking more and more about it with no one looking around. Would you slip up your hand? I'd like to pray for you this week. I'm not going to call you out or mention you. I'd like to pray for you, at least thinking more about it. Anyone at all? Raising your hand doesn't move you any closer to God. I just wanted to pray for you. It's an open door here all the time for you to grab someone you know that loves you and, and sit down and talk about your relationship with the Lord Jesus, okay? It's the most important decision this side of eternity that you'll ever make is to be reconciled to God in Jesus Christ, okay?